Here at Westridge Church, our sole purpose and desire is to lead people on a life-changing journey to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Thank you for deciding to join us in worship through one of our messages. We pray this message will be supplemental to your daily commitment to Jesus. To find out more about Westridge Church or to connect with us, check us out at westridge.com. All right, well, let's get our Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 2. Uh, I wanted to, I'm going to just have a little moment of true confession with you. One of, the, one of the, if you talk to any pastor who's been preaching for a long time, they will tell you that the most difficult sermons to preach are Christmas time and Easter, okay? Now, Easter's not so hard because, you know, you just tell the story and it just, it, it preaches, you know what I'm saying? But when you get to Christmas, all right, especially if you do Christmas series like we do here at Westridge, um, you're always trying to find this angle and creativity or whatever. And so we've, you know, last, last few years, we've, we've kind of picked out words. Like we used hope a few years ago. And last year we talked about the dynasty of, of the Christmas story. And, and this year we've been focusing more on this word peace. And so um, it's always challenging to, to figure out, okay, these characters, there's only a few of them. You got, you know, you got Joseph, Mary, the shepherds, the wise men, maybe Herod, that's a little dark. Um, and then you got Jesus and that preaches all day long. So, so, you know, after however many years of preaching for me, 26, I mean, how many angles can you take on these stories? And so a lot of pastors, they don't even do Christmas series. They just get right to Christmas Eve and then they talk about Christmas. And so, but we're here going to, we're going to talk this morning about these, these characters that are part of the story. And I got to be honest with you, I have racked my brain all week long, along with my staff, trying to figure out a real catchy title for this that would fit along with our theme of peace. And I mean, I racked my, so we, after just hours and hours of deliberation, here's what we've come up with for the title of this series this morning, The Wise Men. All right, so that's, uh, that's the length, the, the depth of my creativity this week. So Matthew 2, verse 1, let's talk about these guys. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, the wise men are like the mystery men of the Christmas story. I mean, if you listen to tradition or Christmas songs, you would think that we know all kinds of things about these guys. Like we know everything there is to know, but actually we really don't know a whole lot about them at all there's actually probably more questions about these guys than we actually have answers. Like, for instance, where did they come from? We honestly really don't know. The Bible says they came from the east. And we always sing, you know, a song that they came from the Orient afar, you know. But a lot of people, and so as a result of that, a lot of people would say these guys came from China or Asia or something like that. But that would have meant that they would have been on a journey of over 4,500 miles to get to Bethlehem. However... If you look in the book of Daniel, where you also see Magi, you see Magi associated with a group of people called the Medes. Centuries, years, centuries ago, the Medes lived in what would be known today as northwest Iran. And, and that means if these guys came from that part of the world, they still would have traveled over 900 miles over rocky slopes and parched deserts. If you've ever been to that part of the world, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Another question is, how many were, how many, how many guys were there? Well, tradition, you know, we think because they had three gifts that there were three men. However, there could have been five. Two of them, maybe two of them couldn't afford to bring a gift or whatever. They all pulled in their money and you get three get to choose. Who knows? What did they do for a living? 
Well, some people think that they were astronomers because they followed a star. Some people have somewhat of a corrupted idea of a magi, thinking that somehow these guys were actually magicians. However, again, if you look in the book of Daniel, these men were powerful political figures who not only had tremendous influence, but they probably had tremendous knowledge in all types of, of areas, including astronomy and astrology. But regardless of where these guys came from or who really they were, they, they just mysteriously show up into the story, and then all of a sudden, they mysteriously disappear. And while we don't know a ton about these guys, what we do know is that they went on a journey. They went on a journey, and their journey gives us a wonderful picture of what it looks like when someone seeks after God, when someone finds God, and then begins to follow them. And so if you don't normally take notes in this church, I want to encourage you to take some notes because I think, I really believe that they're, 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 we see five things in this story that, that we can look at in our own lives, apply to our own lives, and, and really ask ourselves, how are we doing on the journey of, of being a Christ follower especially during this time of the year, Christmas season. First of all, I believe their journey involved a willingness to take a risk. If you look at verse 2, it says, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? And they came into Bethlehem, and they're asking a question. And this is, for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, what in the world would cause prominent men like this to leave their homes, leave their families, leave whatever, whatever they did for a living to travel such a long way through some pretty treacherous conditions to, to see a child? Well, it was faith. These guys didn't come to town asking if a baby had been born who was the king of the Jews. They, were, they, were, they, they knew that he existed. The star was proof that he was there. All they wanted to know is, where is he? The purpose had been established. Find him. That was their purpose. It didn't matter how far they traveled. It didn't matter, you know, it didn't matter how dangerous the conditions. They were willing to risk it all to follow him. Why? Well, they say it right here. So we can worship him. They set on a journey to find him and to worship him. Now think of how their friends could have possibly have responded to, to them leaving and going on this journey like this. I mean, think about this. Guys walk up and say, hey, hey, where are you guys going? Well, we're really not quite sure. How far w- w- are you going to be traveling? Well, we're not quite sure of that either. You know, as they're kind of packing up the camels and maybe bringing along some donkeys or whatever, when will you be back? Can't really tell you. We don't really know. I mean, the neighbors had to be scratching their friends. The relatives had to be scratching their friends thinking, these guys don't really seem too wise. However, when you comb through the Bible, you see the same kind of risk taking taking faith just repeated over and over again. You look at Abraham who who left his home in search of a place called the promised land. He had never been to a place called the promised land, a Canaan. He didn't know where that was. But, he, but he, he took a risk and stepped out on faith. You, you look at Noah building an ark, 120 years, even though people during that time had never even heard or had ever seen rain, took a step of faith. You see David going out into the valley of Elah to, to fight a giant with a slingshot and, and five rocks. 
You see a guy by the name of Daniel in the Old Testament who is, who is being thrown into a lion's den rather than, than deny his devotion to God. You see in the New Testament, Peter, Andrew, James, and John just dropping their nets and leaving their, their occupation and their families behind to follow Jesus. And here you have these wise men hitching up their camels, starting across the desert to follow a star. What, are the, what do all of these stories and all of these people have in common? They were all led by God to take a step of faith. They risked their security. They risked their reputation, a possibility of even being criticized, the possibility of failure because they believed that following God was worth taking a risk. These wise men believed that at the end of the journey, they would find the king of the Jews. Now listen, God may not be calling you specifically to take this huge, audacious leap of faith this morning, this huge, life-altering leap of faith. But he may be calling you to make a little change in your life, a two-degree shift, a slight slight little tweak. I mean, anything that you do when you're following God is an act of faith. Maybe it's trusting God with a a difficult relational issue that has somehow or another robbed you of your peace during the season of the year. I mean, that's a risk because it might mean admitting that you're actually wrong. You may have to say you're sorry. Maybe, it, maybe it's trusting that God has a plan for your future even though you can't see it right now. Maybe you're going through something right now and you've, and you've, lost, you've lost hope. You don't know where this is going to lead. I mean, you, can't, you almost can't even see God in the situation. But you're going to trust him anyways. And you know that's a risk because you know what it means? It might mean that you may have to give up control of something. For some of you, it's a financial issue. The uncertainty of, 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 of the state that you're in right now when it comes to your finances is just stealing your joy. It's robbing you of your peace. And maybe the, the Holy Spirit is leading you in the midst of this uncertain time to actually start tithing, and that's a risk for you. I have no idea what the Holy Spirit may be leading you to do this morning, but here's what I do know. A true spiritual journey will always involve faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, the writer of Hebrews says this, And without faith, it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The the writer of Hebrews says it's actually, without faith, you cannot please God. What is faith? Faith is just simply an action word. James takes it even a little further in James 2.17 and says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, it's actually dead. If there's not action that goes along with our faith, then the Bible says it's useless. We become a Christ follower. We receive salvation by faith alone in Jesus Christ. But the Bible says it doesn't stop there. We live out our Christian life every single day by faith. We follow Jesus Christ every single day by faith. Faith in action is what helps us to take the next step towards being a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Faith in action is what allows us to see God at work in our lives. When we're walking in faith, the Holy Spirit may lead us to take a risk for God. It may be something that that scares us, but being willing to step out and trust God to actually take a risk is is what actually causes our faith to be stretched. It's, it's, it's where we actually see God do amazing things with average, ordinary people like you and like me. I remember years ago at a very pivotal moment in, in my life watching Charles Stanley on TV, holding up his hands as if he was holding something. He, and he was using the illustration of faith. He was, he was holding in his hands faith 
in his hands. And he said, listen, he said, you'll never know the power of, of what you possess. You'll never know the power of your faith until you're willing to let God put it to the test. See, if your Christian life is void of faith, you're, you're, you're probably dealing with a spiritual life right now that is, that is dried up and lifeless. A faith that is willing to venture out with God and to take a risk becomes a faith that is actually exciting and alive. Have you ever wondered why these guys show up in the story of Jesus' life, especially in the early days of his life? I mean, Mary and Joseph have had to have had encountered other people along the way. Especially, I mean, in the first few years of Jesus' life. Why are these guys in the story? I believe the reason that these guys are included in God's story is because of their faith. These wise men were respected. They were admired men in the world, but they were willing to leave it all to, 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 to catch a glimpse of what was actually underneath that star that they had seen. They had to see that child. They knew he was there. Their faith propelled them to take a risk. Our journey also doesn't just include faith, but it also includes an, an attitude of expectancy. These men were incredibly motivated to find Jesus. Just, just, from, what, just from looking at what they had to do to find Jesus, we, we, we see this tenacious attitude that says, no matter what, I will find him. We will find him at all costs. We're going to find him. That's an attitude of expectancy. That, listen, they had this knowledge that the king of the Jews had been born. When they actually met with Herod, who was the king at the time, under Roman control, but he was Jewish, they told Herod they had seen his star while they were still in the east. And truly, they could have just recorded the, the sighting of the star in their journal and just, you know, and, and just kind of threw it aside, but that wasn't enough for these guys. They had to see it for themselves. They were filled with anticipation of what they might actually discover. And so these guys became a man, men on a mission. It was a mission of hope. And a, and a true spiritual journey is always going to involve hope. What is hope? Hope is a confident expectation and a desire for something good in the future. It's a confident expectation and a desire for something good in the future. Biblical hope not only desires something good for the future, it expects it to happen. And it not only expects it to happen, it is confident that it will happen. And these guys expected to find what they were looking for. In fact, they were so sure that they were going to find him, they actually brought gifts with them. Now, we don't know if these guys were actually believers when they started out on their journey. But it was faith and it was hope that, that led them to confidently expect that, that, that what that star was leading them towards was going to be something that was going to change their lives. See, expectancy makes the difference in our lives. In order to come in, into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ to actually receive salvation, it is truly by faith alone. But hope says following him is the only way to truly find peace in this life. It's the only way we can confidently expect a future in heaven. Hope says we believe that he has the ability to change our life. Expectancy says that Jesus Christ makes all the difference. And so as long as that star remained above their heads, these wise men knew that there was hope. They knew that the purpose for that star meant life, a changed life. And so they traveled through incredible circumstances and brought with them this incredible attitude of expectancy. They brought with them gifts of worship. 
But I also want you to know that their journey included a realistic understanding of the cost. Look at verse 3 for a moment. Because these guys had an encounter with Herod. And it says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet... And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now, when you step out on a faith journey to follow God... One of the things that you need to understand is that any faith journey that you take when it comes to following God is going to consist of trials and troubles. The wise men, the magi, not only had a tough physical journey that they went through, but listen, they came to a point in the story where they had to deal with a crazy king named Herod. And in verse 3, when it says that Herod was troubled by the news that the king of the Jews had been born in Bethlehem, you need to understand that Herod had some issues. And his issues went well, well, well beyond the news that a young child had been born in Bethlehem. Herod was a messed up dude, okay? History tells us that Herod was a very paranoid king. When he was in his 20s, his father, who was also named Herod, was, was poisoned and murdered by a bunch of, of palace schemers. And so a few, few years later, after doing some investigating and after he had been king for a while, he held a party himself where he had each one of those, invited all of these people who he thought may have been involved in his father's death, and he had them systematically killed throughout the party. He was so paranoid that someone was going to overthrow him during his reign that he killed his wife's grandmother, he killed his brother-in-law, and then he killed three of his sons because he thought they were too hungry for the throne. And so when you read the story, okay, and you'll read it again throughout your life, when you read the story that Herod was troubled, you need to understand that the boy was not right. But he gathers all the priests and the scribes together because they they know the Old Testament. And he asks them, where does it say that the Messiah is going to be born? And they quote Micah 5.2, which says the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. And then he calls the wise men. And he asks them for a little info about the star and, and the exact time that would, it would appear. See, Jesus would have been about one and a half, two years old by the, point, by the time that the wise men come into the story. See, we always think that the wise men were at the nativity. They were at the stable right after Jesus was born because that's what all of our figurines and our displays, but it's not true. They weren't there. But Herod tells us, listen, Herod tells the wise men, he says, listen, go find him. And when you find him, I want you to come back and I want you to report to me exactly what you found so that I can go worship the child as well. And of course, he's lying. Basically, these wise men were being, they were being used as, as pawns in Herod's hands. And because not only did he want to kill Jesus, but chances are that he probably would have killed them as well. And so here are these guys, they, they, they have a dilemma on their hands. Do they find Jesus and go back and report to Herod what they found, risking their lives? Or do they run in fear? Do they run out of town? Do they, did they leave? I mean, they've been on a journey for a long time. Did they just go? It's not worth it to us anymore. Or... Do they find him and then leave town a different way in which they came? 
Listen, I want you to know a true spiritual journey is always going to involve trials and troubles. The Christian life is full of blessings. It is full of promises. But we're also going to deal with trouble. We're also going to deal with hardship. There's going to be trials. There's going to be, there's going to be some suffering that's going to come along with any Christian journey that we're on. I, but I love the promise that Jesus makes to us in John chapter 16, verse 33. He says this. He said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But I love this. He says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Take heart, I've overcome the world. So regardless of what you are dealing with this morning, and some of you are dealing with some issues. Some of you are dealing, right now in the midst of this Christmas season, you're dealing with some issues. Jesus says, regardless of what it is, we can have peace. We can have freedom from worry. We can have a calm spirit in Jesus because not only has he overcome the world by his death on the cross, but he has made us overcomers as well. In other words, we're not slaves to sin any longer as a follower of Jesus Christ. We're not defeated by our trials and our hardship. We might get shaken up a little bit, but we're not overtaken by our sufferings. Because of the victory that Jesus achieved on the cross, And then when he rose from the dead, the Bible says that we are more than conquerors. We are overcomers. But we need to understand that we're going to go through some some tough times. We're going to face some hard situations. There's going to be some difficult things that go on in our lives. We're going to deal with some tough people along the way. And that's what's happening in the story. The wise men are in a very tough spot. Herod is setting them up so that he can actually kill Jesus. But you need to understand that God was in control of, the, of this the whole time. God, God was not surprised or concerned by Herod's action. I mean, he, he had things under control. And I want you to know that in the very same way, he has the issues of your life under control as well. God's not surprised by the trial that you're going through right now. God has not been caught off guard by the pain that you're dealing with right now. God has not, I mean, it's not, it's not surprised him that you're dealing with what you're dealing with this morning. And so you need to understand that the same promise that Jesus made back then applies to you today. He said, take heart. Have peace in your life because I've overcome the world. And because you're one of my children, you're an overcomer. You're more than a conqueror. So this journey involved faith and involved hope. It involved some trials and troubles. But it also involved a heart of worship and sacrifice. Look at verse 9. It said, After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. A true spiritual journey will always involve worship and sacrifice. When these wise men started out, they, when they started out in their journey, their purpose was to find Jesus so that they could worship him. When the wise men find Jesus, where do we find them now? Well, Mary and Joseph are now living in a house. And Matthew tells us that they brought three gifts, three gifts gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, at first glance, it almost looks like that the wise men show up with the wrong gifts to the baby shower. I mean, when you, when you think about the story, I mean, think about this for a moment. I mean, what two-year-old wants a bottle of myrrh, a bottle of frankincense, 
What, what little Jesus may have wanted back was an Old Testament action figure. Give me David and the Goliath, you know, in the, in the, in the slingshot and some rocks. I mean, what, I ran into this little joke in a, in a Mark Batterson book where he talks about this story. And he talks about three wise women. And he, and he says this, he says, do you know what would have happened if it had been three wise women instead of three wise men? They would have asked for directions. They would have arrived on time, helped deliver the baby, cleaned the stable, made a casserole, and brought practical gifts. <laughs> but these wise men brought gold and frankincense and myrrh. And when you look at it, it does appear that the gifts seem a bit misguided, but actually they were perfect. I believe it's quite possible that Joseph and Mary used these gifts to fund their escape to Egypt after Herod ordered all male children under the age of two in Bethlehem and the surrounding regions to be killed. But we also need to know that these gifts were, were very meaningful. They were very symbolic. They, were, they had great value. And they were given as acts of worship. For, for, for these men to give these kinds of gifts was, was a true sacrifice for anyone back then. These men had paid a price to worship Jesus on that day. They, they had traveled for days, most likely months, to get from where they lived to Bethlehem. They, they risked their lives traveling through tough deserts and rocky terrain. They left their homes and their families and their jobs, and they, they left their comfort zones so they could, they, could, they could find Jesus and worship him. They risked their lives even dealing with Herod. But when they found him, I love, I love what happens here. The Bible says they fell on their knees and they offered him gifts of great value. What does God want from us this morning? He wants our faith. He wants us to have this confident expectation and a hope in him. He, he wants us to understand that there's going to be trials and that there's going to be trouble in our journey. But he also wants our worship. He wants our hearts. And he doesn't just want a piece of your heart this morning. He wants the whole thing. You need to understand that that has been the understanding from the very beginning. When God established a relationship with, with a nation which he called, which called the, the people of Israel, the Jewish people, what he wanted from them from the very beginning was full devotion. He wanted them to love him with all of their heart, all of their mind, and all of their soul. We see that in the Old Testament. We see Jesus repeating it in the New Testament. And he wants from us, he desires a sacrifice, not an animal sacrifice, some kind of blood sacrifice, that were, the kind of stuff that was made in the Old Testament. What God wants is for you to sacrifice your heart, your best time, your best talents, your, your best treasures. He wants our lives. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 tells us to present ourselves, our lives, as a living sacrifice to the Lord, to be all in with him. In other words, God wants your heart. He wants your attention. He wants your affection. He wants your future. And we can trust him with all of those things by faith. And I think these wise men are a picture of the kind of worship that God wants from us. They're a picture of sacrifice. And the question that we all have to ask ourselves at this morning is, are you willing to go there? Are you willing to give God your best? Are you willing to leave your comfort zone to seek him and to follow him? Are you willing to be all in with him? This is the picture that we see of the wise men. The last part of their journey involved this, a determination to obey. Look at verse 12. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, these wise men were warned by God in a dream not to return back to Herod. Don't go back to him. And as a result of their worship, 
God speaks to them, speaks into their journey. God's giving them instructions, and they were listening, and they were obeying. The only way for us to truly find peace in this life is to put God's truth into practice. We have it right in front of us, the Word of God. How do we, you know, we look and we, we're looking for answers. We're looking for direction. How, how do we take this and apply it to our lives? Here's how we do it. We just simply obey what it says. And that's exactly what these wise men did. When God spoke to them in a dream, they obeyed. They risked the wrath of Herod rather than choosing to disobey God. And I want you to know that a true spiritual journey will always involve obedience. Think for a moment about the trip home. These guys would never be the same again. they, They were men on a mission that found what they were looking for. Now, we don't see this moment in Scripture where they walk an aisle to the song, Just As I Am, and get on their knees in an altar. We don't see a pastor standing in front of anybody, you know, hey, wise men, raise your hands if you just prayed a prayer. We don't see any of that here. But trust me, when these men left Bethlehem, they didn't just leave in a different geographical way. They left very different as men when they had first arrived. They, 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 they went back a different direction, but they also went back different men. Why? Because they had been with Jesus. And I want you to understand that these men, they came to Christ the very same way that you have come to Christ, by putting their faith alone in Jesus Christ to be their Savior. They had to recognize, just like we do, that this is the Son of God, and by faith I'm placing all of my trust and all of my faith in him alone to be my Savior. These, these wise men, they needed forgiveness just like we do. They had to repent of sin just like we do. One of the things that I love about this story it has, it, is that it has all of the elements of what a journey with Jesus, a journey with God actually looks like and what he wants all of us to experience along the journey. Faith, hope, trials that will, will actually make us stronger, worship, and obedience. And for some of you, maybe this morning, God is talking to you about your faith. With, with the Holy Spirit's prompting, maybe you need to be willing to step out and, and to take a few risks. It may not be a huge, life-altering thing, but it may be just a s- slight tweak or a change to get in line with God's plan for your life. Maybe God is challenging you to, to redirect your hope back onto him because you're, you've lost hope. There, there's just a lack of hope in your life. You, you don't expect that God can do what he promises to do. And God says, listen, get your hope back on me. Maybe you're going through a trial, whatever that looks like for you. And God has honestly allowed that trial into your life because he wants to mature you. He wants to help you to grow deeper in him. He wants you to take you to another level and you're resisting that. Maybe somewhere in your heart you've gotten away from God. And, and what used to be worship and sacrifice is now pride and selfishness. And God is calling you back to say, I want you to be a worshiper. I want you to get to a place where you're all in with me in every area of your life. Maybe God may be speaking to you about the level of your obedience. Can I tell you, it's not just enough to to hear God's word and even to understand it. True life and true peace in your life is going to come when you take these words and put them into action. Like you, you obey them. It comes from obedience. And finally, maybe you're like the wise men 
this morning. You've come to this place, into this building this morning, searching for something. You, maybe you didn't even know what you were searching for when you came in here. Someone invited you. But you're expecting to find something. You, you're like the video that we showed a little while ago, Steve, who walked into church, didn't want to really go, but you're here. And you're at this point of the sermon and you're like, something's getting ready to change in my life. I want to challenge you this morning to take a risk. I want to ask you to to expect that God can change your life, to know without a shadow of a doubt that he can. And maybe you're ready to take that step of faith towards towards Jesus. Well, listen, just like these wise men did over 2,000 years ago, listen, God's been working, God's been leading you to his son and you're here. And on this Christmas Sunday, my challenge to you right now is don't wrestle and fight it all. Receive him. Put your faith and your trust. Accept his gift of salvation this morning and know that it will change your life. I want us to bow our heads for a moment. Some of you, most, I'm going to guess most of you at some point in your life have put your faith and trust in Christ. And I want you to think about the things we've talked about this morning. What are the changes that need to be made in your life? What, are, what's, what is the Holy Spirit prompting you to do right now? Is it a faith step? Is it something dealing with your hope? Is it something involving a trial that you're going through? Is it something maybe involving uh, your, your, your worship or sacrifice or maybe your obedience? Whatever that is, I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit's prompting and take that step. But for some of you, it is, it is the step of putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The mission that you've been on, even though maybe it's been all over the place, has brought you to this place. And God is offering you this morning salvation, just like he offered these wise men. And at some point, just like you have to, they put their faith and trust in Jesus. If that's you this morning, I want you to pray with me. Just say, Lord, I understand just like these guys did that the only way that I can truly know God, know you personally, is by placing my faith and my trust in you alone, by recognizing that, yes, Jesus is the Son of God. Lord, I am sorry for my sins. I repent of my sins, and I place all of my faith and all of my trust in you to be my forgiver my Redeemer, my Savior. It's nothing that I can add to the mix, Lord. It's all you. And so at this very moment, because of the cross and what Jesus did there, I receive and I accept God's free gift of salvation. That's me. This morning you prayed to receive Christ. I want to challenge you to take out the card that we handed you when you walked through the door. Check the box that says, this morning, today, I prayed to receive Christ as my Savior. Take it out to the host center, the help center on the atrium so that we can help you to take your next step on the journey. Lord, thank you for an amazing morning. We've had an opportunity to sing. We've had an opportunity to, to worship you by giving. We've heard an amazing testimony of life change and how we've been able to engage a man's life who had truly lost hope. Lost hope that something out there was going to help him, but never lost his hope in you. And Father, we've had a chance to look at some very familiar characters in the Bible and to hopefully see the true meaning of why they're in the story. Oh Lord, so grateful for Christmas. Thank you for what it means to us. Help us not to lose sight of that today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.